that I need to help people at Nestle and at Coca-Cola shift their business practices because these companies are contributing to a massive health epidemic, the, the obesity epidemic, and also producing so much unnecessary pollution for the planet. And the people who work for these companies are good people, but they are in a state of denial. And my job is to help them wake up. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come every single week to listen, to learn, and to grow. And I am so excited to be talking to you today. I can't believe it. My new book, Eight Rules of Love, is out and I cannot wait to share it with you. I am so, so excited for you to read this book, for you to listen to this book. I read the audiobook. If you haven't got it already, make sure you go to eightrulesoflove.com. It's dedicated to anyone who's trying to find, keep, or let go of love. So if you've got friends that are dating, broken up, or struggling with love, make sure you grab this book. And I'd love to invite you to come and see me for my global tour, Love Rules. Go to jshettytour.com to learn more information about tickets, VIP experiences, and more. I can't wait to see you this year. Now, I'm always excited for our guests, but I'm especially excited when it's a very dear and close friend of mine. Today's guest, as you already know, is Vishen Lakhiani. Now, Vishen and I met a couple of years ago, but I'd admired and followed his work for many years before that. So when we finally met, we really hit it off. We really connected, especially because we met at his incredible A-Fest festivals in Sardinia that year. So I was invited to speak. Me and Vision spent a lot of quality time together. And since then, we've spent a lot of quality time together in LA, and he's back here today. Now, for those of you who don't know, Vishen Lakhiani is one of today's most influential minds in the fields of personal growth and human consciousness. He's the founder and CEO of Mind Valley, the world's leading online personal growth education company, and behind several top-ranking health and wellness apps, and many more to come. He's a New York Times bestselling author with several new books on the way, with an incredible passion and drive to unite humanity and challenge the status quo. He has built a movement of growth seekers spanning across 100 countries, engaging more than 12 million followers on social media and nearly half a million students online each year. Today, I'm excited to talk with him about making the workplace a better environment for all and his new book, The Buddha and the Badass, The Secret Spiritual Art of Succeeding at Work. Please welcome my friend and amazing thinker, Vishen Lakhiani. Hey, Jay. I've been listening to your podcast for the longest time. So it's such an honor to be on this show. And I love love your work. Um, I love your audience. So thank you for having me. No, thank you, man. This is, I can't believe I said this to you outside. I can't believe this is the first time we're doing this. Right. But, but this is going to be the first of many. Like I said, I'd been following your work with Mind Valley for many, many years before, been blown away by the community you've built, the, the wonderful people I've connected with at Mind Valley. And obviously, Irvin Valencia is uh, one right. of my closest friends and a big community member who was telling me to come to Mind Valley for so long. And so, yeah, you've just built a really special group of people. Thank man. you. It's, it's, it's amazing who you've attracted. So, Thank you, Jay. Yeah, thank you. Now, I want to dive straight in. We're going to talk about your new book today as well. But before we do that, I want people to learn more about you because I think 
you're a fascinating individual. You're always very good at putting the spotlight onto other people, but I think it's important that people get to learn about you too. So tell me about one of your favorite memories of growing up in Kuala Lumpur. Like what was, you know, what's one of the biggest things that's- Well, well Jay, you and I have a lot in common. So growing up in Kuala Lumpur, I was a kid that was really insecure. I was pimply face and I, you know, I just had very low self-esteem. Now, what I did have as an advantage was a voracious appetite for reading. And my dad never went to university. He self-educated himself on personal growth books. So there was no internet at that time. We had like maybe three television channels. There was not much to keep you occupied, but I had my dad's bookshelf. I remember this white bookshelf filled with personal growth books. And I would spend so much of my free time just going through these books. At the age of 14, I discovered meditation and I started meditating three times a day. And then I started exploring other aspects of the human mind. I got fascinated by things such as intuition, being able to control my dreams. Then I got fascinated by concepts such as energy healing. When I was 17 years old, I taught myself creative visualization. I taught myself how to access deep states of meditation. And back then I was having chronic skin disease. I was having, I was having pimples, right? And I remember teaching myself how to apply creative visualization and healing my skin in five weeks. Five years of skin disease healed in five weeks. And that gave me so much confidence in the power of the mind. I never stopped learning. So I continued investing in personal growth, reading books, attending seminars. And finally, one day when I was 26 or 25 years old, I found myself in Silicon Valley. I'd graduated with a, with a degree in electrical and computer engineering. And I went to Silicon Valley because I wanted to build software to bring people together in communities. But my timing sucked. First, the dot-com bubble burst. And then September 11 happened. And all of a sudden, I was out of a job. And so the only job available was a dialing for dollars job. I had to pick up the phone, call up lawyers, in, in Texas and sell them on software. So here you have this Malaysian kid with a name Vishen Lakiani with a, a, a more Malaysianized accent back then talking to these big Texan lawyers. And, um, and it was really tough. Firstly, I, I, I changed my name to Vincent Lakiani. No. So they, so they thought I was Italian because <laughs> nobody could pronounce Vishen. Yeah. And I sucked because I had no experience convincing lawyers to, to sell soft, to buy software. And when you call up and, busy lawyers in the middle of their workday, you hear more FUs of FU kid yeah. than you would ever expect. And I think one day after the 13th lawyer told me to F off, I fell into a funk mm. and I decided that I needed to do something to bring myself out of this, like this, this dark void where I felt like I was failing. Mm. And, and back then Silicon Valley, the economy was so bad. If you didn't close the sale, you didn't get paid. I was running out of cash. So I went and I took a class on meditation and intuition. And I go back to San Francisco and this newfound ability develops in me. So back then we would check out the yellow pages from the public library. I would have to call every lawyer from A to Z. After going into this class on meditation, I was able to run my fingers down the phone book. And I want to ask that you and your audience keep an open mind. I could run my fingers down the phone book, get an impulse and know exactly who to call. And instantly I double my sales. Now I have an engineering mind, so I had to test this. It was pure data. I double my sales. I started refining the technique. I double my sales again. I double my sales again. Next thing you know, at 26, they make me vice president of sales. I'm sent to New York to set up their New York office. And again, I trust my intuition and I find 
an office in New York that is so stunningly beautiful and available for nothing. It is an office in Chelsea Market, the building that Google just bought last year for like two and a half billion. It's where YouTube Studios now is, but that was my office. So this intuition became this guiding light. And then intuition guided me to leave that company in 18 months and to start my own. And I decided to become a meditation teacher. So for five years, I was teaching meditation and I was making very little money. And one day I had an impulse to do something different, to start a festival. That was a fest. I quit meditation. I started AFES. That's how we connected. And then I had another impulse to start an app and start a company. And that became Mind Valley. And now this intuition keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And I'm guided by this intuition. And so it's helped me become extremely successful. I now have 300 employees building so many different apps and ideas, but so many of these are coming through intuition. And my biggest project right now is bringing intuition into the schooling system and into businesses. I can, we, in 10 years, are going to see CEOs and executives globally listening to the still inner voice within. And when you tap into that, your whole worldview changes. You realize you're so deeply connected to life, the earth, to other people. And, and it's, it's remarkable what it does. And you start taking the right action to heal the world. Intuition guides you towards unity and towards healing the planet. So that is my obsession right now. I love that, man. That was amazing. That, yeah, no, incredible. And when I hear the word, and I know you too, for so many people and the way you describe it, you're data-driven, you're someone who likes science, mm-hmm. but also likes breaking the boundaries of science and looking beyond. You, you know, I feel we're both people who like to mesh together right. the two worlds often seen as polar opposites of science and spirituality or intuition and insight or, exactly. or data and desire, but we try and bring it together. Tell me how you've been able to break down intuition for people who go, oh yeah, like that right. works for you. Like, or you're maybe you got some woo-woo spiritual stuff. How have you been able to speak to, and I know you already do this. You speak to CEOs, you speak to business leaders, you speak to celebrities. How are you able to make it feel real to them? Well, One of the first things is that there was a famous study done by Professor John Michalowski of the Newark College of Engineering. Now, I know you love science, your audience loves science, so let's talk science. What Michalowski found, and he wrote a book called Executive ESP, he found that CEOs who test high on intuition test, they actually have a higher, they have better results with their company based on profitability. Mm. But there are also CEOs who test against, they, they test negative on intuition tests. I don't mean, I don't mean that they don't have intuition. They have negative intuition. Mm. In other words, they are supposed to guess. Okay. Let's, so negative intuition is you're supposed to guess a coin flip. Like, and you know, even if you're a random person or a machine with no intuition, you're going to guess heads or tails 50% of the time. These CEOs were people who had such low self-esteem. They were second guessing themselves. So they were guessing wrong more frequently It's as if their mind was self-sabotaging and the self-sabotage correlated with lower profitability. Mm -hmm. So not only does it show that if you are intuitive, you have better success in life, but there's also this concept of intuitive self-sabotage where you are choosing not to listen to your intuition Mm -hmm. because there's something in you that's telling you to sabotage yourself. And this leads to lower profitability growth. So this study was really fascinating. Now there are other studies that measure the impact of intuition and studies that measure the impact of of your mind (laughs) healing another person. And these studies are showing that without a doubt, 
these things are real. Mm. Intuition is not only real, but it's something that everybody has. The ability of, for your mind to heal another person or to accelerate their healing is real, even in untrained observers. In one study uh, by William Broad, San Antonio Mind Science Center, okay, they hook up people to an EDR device, electrodermal resistance. Now, when electrodermal resistance measures um, sweat, basically. So the more you're sweating, the more anxiety you're feeling, the lower your resistance. But conversely, if you are peaceful, um, the there's less sweat, the higher your resistance. Now, what they found is that in 57% of the population, if there is a person, an untrained person who's paired with you and told, okay, think about Jay at this specific time, 1.53 p.m., think about Jay and send him positive thoughts. In 57% of the population, the person who's receiving you, if, if you're Jay and you're, you're hooked up to an EDR, electrodermal resistance, it will show that your body is changing. Wow. You're becoming more peaceful. Now, and this is for an untrained meditator. Imagine if you were actually trained. So science is showing that we at a fundamental level are deeply connected, mm. but we're not just connected with each other. We're connected with a higher intelligence. And this is the source of so much insight. Steve Jobs, who built the most valuable company in the world, famously said, listen to your heart and intuition. Somehow they already know who you are to become. And if you read Steve Jobs' biography I by Walter Isaacson, you know, Isaacson literally <laughs> writes, Steve Jobs believe in prana or an intuitive way of living in the world. That, Isaacson suggests, Steve developed from his journeys in India, much as you. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that book. It's right up there behind this right, big light. beautiful book. It is such a brilliant book. And I love what you're speaking about here. And I'm so glad that I asked you that question because I, I, know, I know you know all the answers. So it's great. But I love hearing it from that perspective because I feel that we live in a world that is scared to almost tap into its own right. intuition. We're scared. And that's why we're living based on the past. Like data can only show you the past and you can have a forecast. But the way you speak about intuition and what you were sharing with me when you first came in today after your incredible meetings that you've been having and, and the experience that you just had, the intuition is such an internal guide right. that it's helping you create and build the new, right. not just forecast exactly. based on what you've learned in the right. past. So it's fascinating, man. And, and, and I want to dive into it more as we talk about the workplace. But recently you've been making a lot of videos about pharma companies, about food companies. Right. And I respect you so much and I appreciate you for... For someone who wants companies to learn about being better workplace environments, you're also challenging them yeah. based on their advertising, based on what they put in their products. And I think it's really bold and I, I, I really uh, admire it and respect it. Tell us about what about these companies is so, really burning you right now. So what I do, well, firstly, nothing is burning me. Mm. It's just a fun project, but it's an important project. I listen to the universe and I ask the universe, how can I serve the greater unfolding of humanity? So the universe sends me downloads. So, um, and these download comes in many interesting ways. So for example, we know, science knows. So again, I have a degree in electrical engineering and computer science. Everything I talk about, I need to find the science, right? But science says, and science knows that we can alter our brainwave frequency through pharmacology, ayahuasca, um, um, other, other types of, of, of pharmacology. We can, we can 
also shift our brainwave frequencies through neurotraining and through meditation. Meditation is, of course, the safest and the best mode. So I was a meditation teacher, so I really got to go deep in that. But I also do neurotraining uh, with our mutual friend, Dave Asprey, mm-hmm. and I participate in plant medicine ceremonies. I just got back from an ayahuasca trip. Now, when you do this right, you can actually tap into what is called the theta level of mind. The theta level of mind is that level of mind where insights come to you. You're tapped into something else. Most people, they go into theta when they're falling asleep and they have dreams. And dreams can be a powerful source of intuition. So many great discoveries came in dreams. The sewing machine was invented in a dream. Uh, Robbie Williams, the famous singer, said his song, Better Man, came to him in a dream where where, uh, John Lennon, came up to him and gave him the lyrics for that song. So there are all of these fascinating stories of dreams. But what if we can access that state at will and channel new ideas? Tesla did this. There's a movie right now out about Nikola Tesla, Edison, and George Westinghouse. It's called The Current Wars. Amazing oh, movie, right? It. Starring uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom oh, Holland. Wow. Cool. And, and in that movie, there's a scene where Tesla invents a motto completely in his head. And George Westinghouse goes to him and said, well, you, you created these, this new AC motto in your head. How do I know it's going to work? And Tesla says, of course it's going to work. I, I tested it in my head. I created it in my head. If it works in my head, it's going to work in the real world. That motto went on to change America. And as the reason, Elon Musk named his car Tesla, mm-hmm. right? But Tesla could do this. Many great inventors could do this. There's a story of Edison, Tesla's rival. And the story is that Edison would hold a metal ball in his hand. And Edison was famous for his, his evening naps. So he would, sorry, his afternoon naps. He would sleep, hold a metal ball in his hand. And as he drifts off into sleep, his hand would obviously drop. And the ball would hit a plate on the ground, jolting him out of sleep. Now, what was Edison doing? Well, when you sleep and you take a nap, you're going to the theta level of mind. Edison famously said, ideas come from space. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Ideas come from out of space. Edison had something like 2,000 patents to his name. Tesla changed the future of humanity. These men had access to knowledge outside the human brain. It's time all of us learn to tap into this. So back to your question. When I ask myself and I ask the universe, what is it that I need to be doing? I listen and I make a commitment to act on the insights. This is key. Now, firstly, how do you listen? Meditation is, is cool. Neurotraining is really cool, but it's expensive. One of the ways I also do, I, I also use, and this is not for everyone, and you must be doing it in a safe space, is plant medicine. I did an ayahuasca ceremony recently on, on, on Sunday, actually, which is just three days ago. And for seven hours straight, I got a download on the new app that I'm going to build. And, this, and, it, and it's so counterintuitive to anything that my engineering mind would have come up with. I literally saw the UX screens. I literally saw the copy. I saw how to make education cheaper. I saw instances of why I shouldn't use existing technologies because they were bad for humankind. So, for example, on this app, I, I, the, the, the insights were so clear. It showed me the login screen. And it showed that, you know, on most apps, you can log in using Google and Facebook. In this, in, in this dream, this ayahuasca experience, I saw the login screen for this app. In fact, I saw the entire workings of it, but the login screen was really curious. Google and Facebook were crossed out. And I asked, I asked this thing I was plugged into, why? And it said, don't sync with Google or Facebook because this app needs to keep user data private. 
you do not want your user data sold to advertising companies because the world has too many people who buy things which they do not need, leading to um, this, this consumerism, which is afflicting the planet. And you want your app to start to take a stand for a simpler world where we are not seduced to buy stuff we don't need, but we are in a more compassionate way helping heal the planet. So again, I thought that insight was so profound because in my engineering mind, everyone in my team would go for a Google or Facebook login. But this is how nuanced these insights can be. They come from seemingly nowhere, but they are so specific. So anyway, I now tap into these altered states to build businesses. So, and if people think this is crazy, consider the fact that Mind Valley, um, we hit 75 million in revenue with zero venture funding. Zero venture funding. That is really, really, really rare. And one of the reasons we were able to do this is listening to intuition. So my book, Buddha and the Badass, which is coming out soon, is about this. It's about how we think that when we're on a job, right, when we're at work, it's about productivity. It's about this and that. It's about all of these strategies and all of those have a place. That's good. But the ultimate thing is you want to be hyperproductive. You learn to listen to that voice within. Listen to your soul. Tap into the universe. And you now are taking deliberate, correct action to making the world better. The reason I'm standing up to health food companies is because in addition to building my company, I'm getting in da a download that I need to help people at Nestle and at Coca-Cola shift their business practices because these companies are contributing to a massive health epidemic, the, the obesity epidemic, and also producing so much unnecessary pollution for the planet. And the people who work for these companies are good people, but they are in a state of denial. And my job is to help them wake up. Beautiful, man. That's amazing. When, when you're talking about the walking inside organizations and talking about how we're, we're obsessed with productivity, right. But actually you're saying that people living from the intuition, finding space is going to be much more powerful. Right. Tell us about the role that's going to play in how organizations are led. Because the question I ask is, is that a practice mm -hmm. that you think everyone can develop to the- Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So firstly, one of the things I'm a hard advocate of is the idea that hard work is a lie. Hard work is great if you have never learned how to tap into your mind, if you've never learned to meditate. But when you get to a level where you're tapping into your inner resources, you do not want to practice hard work. You want to practice stillness. You want to practice being able to tap in and download ideas and to take smart action towards these ideas. You become, as what Isaacson called Steve Jobs, a magician genius. Mm. Isaacson said Jobs' ideas were so, so brilliant, so revolutionary. They seem to come, you know, from, from yeah. magic. Yeah. I mean, like think about what he did for Apple. Now, when Apple kicked Steve Jobs out, that company went into a massive decline. When they brought Steve back in 1997, we saw what happened. The iMac, then the iPod, then the iPhone. It was this incredible, like, like, list of, of innovations, but that was coming because Jobs, he wasn't the hardest worker. There are so many hardworking CEOs. Jobs was able to do something that most human beings cannot do. But if you study 
Jobs, you will notice his favorite book was not a book on business. It was Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm -hmm. It was a book on the concept that our minds are tapped into a higher power. We can download insights and we can shift the fabric of the world. Now, when I started doing this through my meditation, I started using the term bending reality. When Steve Jobs' biography came out, I noticed that Walter Isaacson used the word bend reality in addition to Steve Jobs three times in that book. Jobs could bend reality. Mm. Many other if highly effective people can do it, you do it. When your videos go viral, it's not just because you have a mathematical formula nailed. You are able to, there's an energy about you that goes in your videos, that goes in your podcast. It is not something that can be measured, but there's something about you where you are shifting outcomes in reality. Now, people can learn this. So as I've started Going into this field, I started studying with Chinese masters, with all of these different spiritual teachers across the world. And I found that I could increase my hit rate, not just in terms of ideas, but in terms of outcomes at work and move incredibly fast and create all of these amazing things. And the better and better and better I got at it, the better I could shift the fabric of reality. My first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. So let me give you an idea of how this happened. In August, 2017, um, I was in a in, in neuro training. So I had my brain hooked up to machines and I was learning how to access the delta level of mind. The delta level of mind is what is associated with shifting the fabric of reality, right? So I was teaching myself how to access the delta level of mind. And when you're able to access the state, you feel as if you're plugged in and you're able to get, download information really fast. And then you also get this knowing confidence that you can shift things. You can shift the energy patterns of the world and make things happen. So one of the things that I set as an intention was that I want my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, to, do, to reach a higher audience. Now, the book had been out for about one year. Three weeks later, I'm sitting at my desktop and I get this intuition, check your book on Amazon. I'm like, what? Because if you're an author, once you get a book out, you do not want to check it on Amazon. <laughs> you don't want to read every review. You don't care the, the, where the book is. You know, like, screw that, you're done. Yeah. But I checked my book on Amazon and I saw the book was number two not in its category, it was number two on Amazon. And the day before, it was number one on Amazon. This was September 17, 2017 or so. My book, for no reason, I don't even understand how, hit number one on Amazon. I became the number two author in the world ahead of um, Tolkien and J.K. Rowling and Hillary Clinton, whose book had come out that same week. And I was like, what on earth is going on? And then the book rapidly fell. Then it hit number one again. It hit number one five, five times that year. But I don't know what happened, but I know I set an intention and something shifted beyond me, something that I couldn't influence with hard work alone. And the book shot up. And now I've started trying to understand how to do that more and more and more. So my new book, The Buddha and the Badass, tries to break that down into a series of... Mm patterns and ideas that people can follow. It's not all metaphysics. In fact, I rarely talk about metaphysics in the book. I talk about practical ideas that you can bring into business um, for ex and that can create this type of like boost in what you're seeking to do in the world yeah. and how to do it for good. Amazing. Yeah, I remember Walter Isaacson calling it reality distortion field. Yeah. So what Steve Jobs had was the ability to distort reality, right. bend reality, mm -hmm. because he was able to look beyond the edge exactly. or what everyone else thinks is the edge. And 
what you're saying to me fascinates me because I, and I, and I'm, I don't even say this often. I probably have never said it on the podcast. I'm feeling such a creative energy right now right. that my mind just wants to write down a ton of ideas <laughs> that I've just had in the last 10 minutes of listening to you. Like the amount of creative energy that I'm feeling right now between right. us is so high that I literally want to get a pen and paper and just scribble down a ton of right. great ideas I've just had. And, and that's what's so beautiful about what you're trying to share. And, and that's what I like about the question you asked in your meditation. And in my book, Think Like a Monk, I talk a lot about question meditations. And I talk about how a lot of the questions we ask the universe are not questions, they're demands. A lot of our questions are actually like, why is this happening to me? That's not a question. That's a demand. Right. When you say things like, I don't deserve this, or I don't understand why you did this to me or took this away, that's not a question. Mm -hmm. it, the, a real question is an innocent request. A real question is a, a sincere, genuine request, which is what you have to be radiant and right. serve the planet. And this question meditation, so often we feel that meditations are to give us the answer, but actually meditations are to ask the question. Exactly. And then wait for the answer. Whereas right. we're sitting there for 20 minutes going, where's the answer, where's the answer, where's the answer? Right. That's not a question. When you ask a real question and you feel that question and you mean it, then the answer will come from the Amazon order going up or this person that you right. meet, or it comes from so many different places. And, and you hit on a really powerful idea, which I'd like to share with your Please. audience. So this is a technique, okay? So this technique is a technique that I write about in my book. This is actually in chapter nine of the book, Buddha and the Badass. Now, the, quest, the, the technique is this. It's about asking the right questions, mm. but the questions have um, assumption that the outcome is clear. So here's an example. So every morning I start my day by asking myself something like 27 questions every single day. And it's the same question. Mm -hmm. The first question was inspired by um, Tony Robbins' Netflix special. <laughs> it was an affirmation I saw Tony do. And the question is this, why do I have avalanches of abundance flowing down on me so that all my dreams, desires, and intentions can come true? Another question I ask myself is, why do I have the fit muscular body of an athlete? And by the way, since I started asking that question, I've been getting healthier and healthier. If you Google me or look at my Instagram, you'll see that between 2016 and 2019, I've been getting younger and, and healthier. You I've also lost man. a ton of weight, right? Yeah, you look great. Um, so you can reverse aging. Another question I ask myself is, why do I have such a great relationship with my children? Yet another question is, why am I a billionaire creating a company that's touching a billion lives and changing the face of humanity? Another question I ask myself is why do I have 50 million books sold and 10 New York Times bestsellers? So you can ask yourself any of these questions, but what you do not want to do is affirmations. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. If you say, I am healthy and fit, there's a little voice in your head that's going to go, no, you're not. You ate that pizza last night, fat so, <laughs> right? Because we all have self-doubts. So you want to hijack your subconscious. You want to trick your subconscious by assuming the truth. So you say, why do I have the fit, healthy body of an athlete? Because that makes it very visceral, very real. Now, you're not saying you have it. You're asking why you have it. But that word pattern creates a switch in your subconscious where there is no denial, where your, your, your inner securities doesn't pop out. But what will start to happen is your subconscious will try to find a way to get you there. 
And you will start noticing synchronicities, coincidences, the right people, the right books coming into your life. So you can create any type of question like this. Um, I learned it from a spiritual teacher on Mind Valley called Christy Marie Sheldon. The technique is called um, identity statements or lofty questions. Mm. Yeah, I prefer, I definitely feel that because I think right now there is such a confusion around manifestation. Right. And when I hear you talk about this, it doesn't sound like the confused version of manifestation, right? Like the difference between manifesting effectively right. and then wishing is so yes. great. Tell us about the way you see them as different. So, so one of the things I do at, at, at Mind Valley and um, is I, I work with so many great teachers around the world, right? You're one of the great teachers that have been on our platform. In fact, you won an award, which I see directly behind you, Mind yeah. Valley Speaker of the Year, because you are, uh, Jay was our highest rated speaker in all of 2019. So, so thank you for that. Thank you, man. So as I listen to all of these other speakers, what I do is I integrate ideas and I always um, um, love sharing the wisdom from my teachers. So one of my teachers is, the Reverend Michael Beckwith, mm. who lives here in LA. And he explained a concept to me once. We were having breakfast in Portugal at A-Fest. And he said, the universe doesn't give you what you want. The universe gives you who you are. People misunderstand that. Mm. They think the law of attraction is being obsessed with what you want. But no, if you want something, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. The universe will reflect to you what you are. And Beckwith calls this the law of resonance. Mm. resonance. So you got to become mm. that which you seek to be. Now, lofty questions works because it's actually getting you there. So when you ask a question such as, why do I have the fit muscular body of an athlete? You're tricking your subconscious by shifting your identity and you will find that the universe will start to reflect that. If you ask yourself a question, why am I so kind and compassionate to everyone around me? Or why do I only eat healthy foods? Or why am I so brilliant at being an entrepreneur? You're shifting your identity at a fundamental level, almost like self-hypnosis, and the universe will start to reflect that. And your life will start accelerating and changing at a really rapid pace. This is actually the most effective manifesting technique I know. But if you sit down and you hope and you hope and you hope and you, and you try to focus your mind on one thing over and over and over and over and over again, it doesn't mean you're going to get that because the universe doesn't give you what you want or what you crave. It gives you that which you are. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's all about being not wanting. So much of yes. manifesting today has become about wanting, wishing, wanting, wishing, wanting, right. wishing. And then you end up waiting exactly. forever instead of becoming and being, which is right. what's really missing. And so tell us about the biggest mistakes that companies are making right now in the way they function with their employees. In the book, The Buddha and the Badass, that's what it's defined to help people right. create because people don't, so there's two types of people. One that believe they want to have purposeful careers and the others that are like, oh, it doesn't matter. Right? It's like, right. why should work be meaningful? Why should work be purposeful? Now I know when I worked at Accenture, where I had an incredible career, I went in two years at Accenture, I went from being a new graduate hire to being the number one social media person wow. globally out of 500,000 people, where I was working alongside our C-suite across the world in building our social media innovation department. Now, I don't think that happened apart from anything, apart from intuition, confidence in my strengths and abilities and the ability to find what was going to make the impact rather than getting lost in trying to prove myself. Mm -hmm. Now that came with certain 
costs too, because I also had people in the company who were threatened by that or wanted to take that away. But it also came with champions and cheerleaders right. of people in the company who wanted to support it. So how are you seeing companies stopping or blocking people from living the way you're suggesting? Right, so there are a couple of things, right? And in, in the Buddha and the Badass, the, um, the first part of the book is really on self-discovery. So you identify your value system. And I use a concept called soul print. What are the values that your soul embedded in you that you have yet to fully express because you're not living your own life. You're living the life that the media, the politicians, that the world tells you, mm. you have to be. So first you got to identify your soul print. Once you identify your soul print, and there's a technique for this, you become magnetic because now your soul is shining true. Mm. In fact, you know, when people do ayahuasca, one of the first most important questions you can ask yourself is reunite me with my soul at all cost. Mm. So many people do not live a life aligned with their soul print. Just like you have a fingerprint, we all have a unique soul print. Mm. Okay. So the first thing is it's getting really clear on who you are. And every single one of us is here as a soul having a human experience for a specific reason. But we forget that. We ignore that. We don't live our life. We live other people's lives. Mm. We imitate cultures, traditions, religions, the lives of our parents, rather than fully becoming who we are meant to be. Mm. So that, that's the first one. Now, the second part is this. If you're working in a team, in a company, you want to figure out how to create the environment around you and your team so that you can be the, the best expression of that. So now it's a four-step formula. Um, and, and I won't go into too much detail, but yeah. one of it is knowing your mission, having a mission. So, and if you work, if you run a company, you want to ensure that the company's mission is super clear to everyone. The second thing is making time for personal growth. Personal growth should be your number one thing. Mm. So in my company, I tell everyone who joins the company that their personal growth is the number one thing. In fact, the first thing I do with every new person who joins Valley is I take them out for lunch and I coach them on their personal growth. I make them do an exercise um, where they identify how they want to grow, who they want to be. And I recommend what books to read, what, what um, we even provide coaches for people and so on. Now, the third thing is, is creating um, community. So community helps us grow. It helps us connect. So it's how can you create um, a structure within your organization where close friendships and trust can form? So there's a whole art to this, to creating community. And the fourth one is creating significance, giving people a way to be powerful, to do powerful things in the world. So that formula transforms teams, transforms companies. And then the final part of the book, uh, what I talk about is taking that power and giving it rocket fuel so people can go out there and truly change the world. And there I talk about a concept called the unified brain, how to connect with other minds in a really rapid way, how to come up with bold visions and become completely fearless and immune to failure. And finally, how to start rewiring your belief system so you start believing that you can do bigger and bigger and bigger things, thus activating the law of resonance and causing the universe to bend reality in your favor. Mm. So there's a whole concept to this. And the funny thing is, right, when people hear about a book, especially with the title, The Buddha and the Badass, they think, you know, this sounds really spiritual. Yes, it is. But I can tell you that we have currently close to 10 Fortune 100 companies applying these ideas. Mm. 10 
That's 10% of the Fortune 100. And it's growing and growing and growing and growing. Every single day, a new company signs up with Valley to bring these ideas to their workforce. Because what happens is an employee of this company is following me or following Mind Valley uh, at, at Vision or at Mind Valley on Instagram. They hear these ideas, they, it changes their lives, and then they bring it to their company. Yeah. So this is going mainstream. I predict by 2030, intuition applied at work will be one of the hottest trends in business. By 2035, in companies, you will learn how to shift the fabric of reality. By 2040, companies like Coca Cola, and Nestle and companies which are creating craptastic products that have no business getting into a human body will either see their stock price completely plummet or these companies will implode or cease to exist on their own accord or they will shift to truly represent human health. You do not want to be investing in Coca-Cola or Nestle at going forward 2020 onwards or any of these other companies. Mm. That, are, that, that, that are basically doing a disservice to human beings. It's time that we got really real. Capitalism by itself is not the answer. We need entrepreneurs who are not just creating companies to make a buck and put useless crap out into the world because as you know, our planet is dying, right? Mm. We need entrepreneurs who are willing to heal the planet and create products and services that make us a healthier species, that help reverse the effects of global warming, that make us more compassionate to one another, that help us protect other species on this planet, and so on. And that is where humanity is going to go. So we already have people in large oil companies meditating forming teams, meditating, and starting their day with compassion meditations as a team. Now, what is this doing? These people in these large oil companies, they're becoming a new type of human being, more conscious, more connected with the earth. And they're going to go forth and change the nature of their companies to start moving to systems and models that can help heal the planet and not extract from the planet. I, I can't wait to see these predictions come true. <laughs> I can't wait. We're going to bring this video, whatever video we watch in 20 years time, I don't know what it's yeah. going to look like, but we will have to track this then. But taking it from this very macro view to the micro of like, if someone's listening right now and they're saying, Vision, you know what? I read your book, Code of the Extraordinary Mind. I loved it. It changed my life. I am going to read Buddha and the Badass because I know that I want to be able to do right. all of these things you're saying. They're going to get the book when it comes out. And then they go, but Vision, I'm walking back into one of those 90 Fortune 100 companies or those multiple Fortune 500 companies that haven't yet switched on. Mm -hmm. And my manager or my boss, really micro, I'm going so micro now. So right. my manager or my boss doesn't get it. And he or she is limiting me from living what you're teaching me. What do I do in that scenario? That's a very, very, very good question. When I first started bringing meditation and intuition into my workplace at the company I was working for, I became one of their most successful employees, right? Pretty soon I was able to do two jobs. So I was vice president of sales and vice president of business development. I could handle two jobs. As I got more productive in the company, as I magnified my impact, I had greater influence the same thing starts to happen. Mm. Based on how you're operating right now, you may not have influence, but when you start applying these tools, your influence will grow. As you are able to do more and give to that company, you will have more say in that company. My best people, I listen to what they have to say. I don't listen equally to everyone, 
right? I listen to the best people. Ray Dalio, and he wrote the book Principles, he said every founder, every CEO, everyone who's running a company has a secret algorithm in their head. Not all ideas are equal. The ideas of the best people are way, are going to be listened to way more than the ideas of people who are just doing a mediocre job. So you start by becoming one of the best people. And you do that not through the bullshit rules of hard work, <laughs> right? I mean, work hard, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But you got to bring in other elements to make sure that you're working effectively and creating change. Once you do that, your power grows. And then it's a question of being able to use this power in the right way to change and course correct and inspire your team and your company to do the right thing. Mm. I think that's, yeah, really powerful advice, really grounded advice, because I think so many people are, feel stuck in that right. scenario. They're listening to you. They're, they're convinced that it works, but then they're not able to make that shift in their workplace. But you're right. It's almost like, it's, it's like you, you almost have to play both games right. at one point, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. You almost have to play both games at one point. You have to earn the respect and the influence in the company, right. in the way the company sees it. But at the same time, you have to bring all of this to it so right. that you can actually be a catalyst for those ideas exactly. inside the company. And you got to stand up for what you believe. Yesterday, yeah. we did something that at one point I thought we would never do as a company. Yesterday mm. on Mind Valley's Instagram, I released a video criticizing Coke yeah, for that. lying to the human race. Now, a year ago, we were told not to do that. Coke might be one of our Mind Valley for Business clients. Why jeopardize that? In fact, Coke did come to us several months ago to ask if we could bring our solutions to their company. And we still might. But we are not, but that's not going to prevent us from standing up to what we believe. And that is that Coca-Cola marketing is downright full of lies and they need to change, mm. right? So you got to stand up for what you believe, even if it's unpopular. So, so those, those are key principles that the book advocates. Well, that's what you're saying at the beginning, right? Like you've chosen your values, right? your soul print. Exactly. Like that's your company's right. soul print. So if that's your soul print, it doesn't mean you can't support that organization. And I think- I think what you've just made there is a really important distinction because I think we live in a world which likes to see things as very black and right. white. Like if I don't like this brand, I would never even work exactly. with them. When actually what you're saying is I can keep my values, but I can still help this brand you improve. You can change the brand. Correct. Right. And I think that that is such a powerful way of living because what we don't understand is simply distancing ourselves from something or simply putting something in a corner and right. trying to avoid it doesn't make it better. Right. And it will just continue to live. Exactly. And, and I think we do that even with our own negative tendencies. Right. If there's something we don't like about ourselves, we just move away from it. We don't approach it with care, compassion and solve it. So what I'm fascinated by is where are the leaders intuitively, apart from Steve Jobs and those kind of level of figures that you've spoken about, where are you seeing and which industries are you seeing intuitive leaders succeed? Where are you seeing that right. already? So firstly, there are intuitive leaders everywhere in every industry. People just don't speak up about it. In secret conversations I have with brilliant men and women all around the world, they talk about intuition. Some of them don't have a name for it, they call it a gut feeling or they call it, you know, my instinct, but it's intuition. <laughs> um, there's not enough words in the English language to describe this phenomenon, mm. but it's intuition. Mm. But people behind closed doors, when I start talking about it, inevitably everyone is able to relate. They're like, oh, I felt that way at that point. And I had made one of the best decisions in, that, in my life. I felt that way when I asked so-and-so to marry me. That's intuition. We all have it. We've created a world where it's considered taboo. That's no longer the case. 
we need to start talking about this. Yeah, one of the ways that I've talked about it and worked with my clients for, uh, for many, many years, and I remember doing this probably the first time, maybe like seven years ago, and, and I talked about something called the karma code. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is, is there is a type of intuition that you tap into when you make your best decisions. And it is something that you can reverse engineer by looking at your previous positive decisions. Right. So if you look back at the last decade or decades of your life, and you pinpointed the three best decisions you made. And when I say best decisions, I don't mean based on the result but you knew it when you made the decision, Mm -hmm. right? That's the difference because sometimes you make a bad decision and the result's good and oh, that was a great decision, but it wasn't, you knew it wasn't. And it just, there was some, uh, there was some, you know, greater force there. But think about when you made a decision where you knew you were making the right decision at that time and then analyze what were people saying? What were you feeling and thinking and how confident were you? And if you can pinpoint the last three best decisions you've made in the last three or four decades, you will find your karma code, which is where your intuition Mm, is at its peak. Right. Because there is a certain set of surroundings, inner feelings and emotions that puts you at your peak to tap in on the highest. So I'll give an example. For me, my three best decisions in the last decade were becoming a monk, Mm -hmm. leaving being a monk, and starting to get into media. Those are my three best decisions. So I broke it down. I was like, all right, let's take a look at these. When I became a monk, everyone thought I was crazy. Everyone in my life. There was no one who agreed with me. Second thing, I was going completely against the grain of everyone else my age. Everyone else my age was going off to work at a bank or a consulting firm. And the third thing is, I was convinced I was making the best decision of my life. There was no doubt in my mind that I was doing anything wrong. So those were my three key metrics that I could see around that. Let's look at the next decision, leaving being a monk. Same thing. When I left being a monk, everyone thought I was crazy. My family and everyone was like, why are you coming back? Everyone that I lived with was like, why would you leave this life? What are you going to do? You've done it for three years. What are you going to do? Second thing, it was against the grain. All the monks I knew were carrying on living as monks. So I was doing the opposite thing again. And thirdly, I realized that I was convinced it was the right decision for me. When I look at getting into media, Again, everyone thought I was crazy. Everyone's like, Jay, you have a safe job. You're getting married next year. Why would you do this? Why would you quit your comfy, amazing job at Accenture that's going so well? Second, it was against the grain. Everyone at Accenture was not quitting their job to live their passion. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't the case. And third, again, I was convinced it was the right decision. So I found that more often than not, when I'm going against the grain, when no one agrees with me, I'm usually doing the right thing. So now I'm worried when people agree with me. (laughs) If I'm making a decision and people agree with me or they think that I'm doing the right thing, I actually worry more. Exactly, exactly. And 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 these are just indicators. Obviously, that's not the final answer of intuition, but they're indicators that help you. They're indicators. And that's such an important lesson. I can see now that that you've actually made me feel more at ease with my ideas because yes, um, I mean, how do I go back to my team and explain that I just saw the future of our company on an ayahuasca trip? I believed you. You told me and I believed you because- (laughs) Because I know you also that, that you, you, because of the question you asked, right. because of the open-mindedness. And I think that's the point that we're saying that these conversations happen behind closed doors. Yeah. But what we're doing right now is we're actually having this conversation in front of camera. Exactly. And we're being very vulnerable and opening up to the fact that some of this may push you over the edge and make you feel like, wow, that's really bendy. But the point is, if you don't do that with your mind, how did any innovation ever happen before? Exactly. And, and you've got to keep remembering this, that everything was visualized here 
before it was made here. Yes. This microphone, this chair, and you may not think this chair is innovative, but guess what? At one point it was really innovative. Right. You may not think this is innovative, but at one point it was really innovative and it existed here. Yeah, and, and the best innovations are not incremental. They are massive leaps, right? Mm. If you look at the companies which are making these massive wow. innovations, they are leaps of imagination. They are coming from somewhere else. Tesla cars, the iPod. These are, these are, these are things which just emerge and great founders, the people who are starting these companies, before they became founders, guess what? They were ordinary people. Yeah. They were, and so if you're listening to this, right, and you're going, oh, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. That's what every founder was, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Elon Musk was literally like cleaning pipes uh, in Canada before he became Elon Musk. Mark Zuckerberg was a college kid before he became Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. All of these innovations came from ordinary people. Mm. Um, they simply had something that they were tapped into that that inspired them. And here's the thing, they acted on it. Mm. There's this beautiful book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Big Magic. Mm. And she writes this really interesting. She says, the universe doesn't play favorites. It'll come and whisper in your ear. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but mm. she writes it so eloquently. She says, it'll come and whisper in your ear and maybe you'll act in it, maybe you won't. And you, if you don't act on it, no problem, but it'll go share the idea with the next person. Mm. But if you're ready to act on it, you will be blessed with all the resources, all the connections, all the synchronicities to make that expression that the universe wants real. Mm. So you want to listen to these ideas, even in the face of doubt. Yeah. And sometimes it's that doubt where we just push these ideas. Exactly. It's too crazy. Yeah. It's too much. And, and, you know, I love what you said about the ordinary people thing, because that is just so true. Like, I talk about it all the time that you don't know how much even extraordinary people that you see as that way are hearing no, right. are hearing their ideas are crazy. Like, you you know, you hear that. I hear that. And you also have ideas where you still start to think, nah, it's not possible, right? right. We, we still have that. And, and we have to push beyond that because that holds us back so much. Tell us about what was the biggest lesson you learned while writing this book? Like when you were writing this book, what was the biggest takeaway that you had internally right. or through research? So, so, oh my God. So the book itself emerged through intuition. So the original book, so what happened was Mind Valley is known for having a really incredible culture that attracts people from all around the world. So people all around the world, like apply to work at uh, a little company in Malaysia, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you've met my team. They're I remarkable love them. people. Paddy, so we have, Miriam, yeah, Agata. Like, they're yeah. going to be so happy that, that you mentioned some them of on my this You are my favorite billion. Miriam, Kadi, and Agata. You are my three favorite people at Oh my Mind God, Valley. they're going to be so lit up. <laughs> I mean, so, I love them. So, uh, and they are, they're such close friends of mine as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So people all around the world come and work at Mind Valley. So I was asked to write a book on culture. Yeah. But as I was writing the book on culture, because that was what I was asked to do, yeah. all of a sudden, I felt a different calling. And the book shifted. It's no longer a book on company culture. It's a book on how to bring spirituality into the job that you do. So it, you don't need to be running a team. You don't need to have a company. As long as you're looking at doing good, book, good work in the world, this book is for you. It's about yeah. merging the Buddha aspect of our nature with the badass aspect of our nature. The Buddha is going within. Mm. The badass is going out mm. and shifting the world but shifting the world based on the insights of the Buddha. Yeah. This book suggests that it's not just about endless introspection. It's about going within to understand what you need to do out in the world and how to shift the world for the betterment of everyone involved. Mm, absolutely. 
I love that, man. And that's the best balance. Right. That's the best balance. And I love that you did that. I'm so glad you didn't write. And, and that's why I admire you and respect you. I'm so glad you didn't just write another book on company right. culture. Exactly. Can you imagine how boring that would be? Exactly. Like if it wasn't coming from your intuition. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't inspired. It was the same as me. When I was meeting a lot of publishers, a lot of publishers just said to me like, Jay, just write a book about passion and purpose. Right? Just write a book right. about passion and purpose. It will sell. And I was like, I, I was like, I don't want to just write about passion and purpose. Like, I want to write about those themes, but not just those themes. And like, I don't just want to package it up nicely. And for me, I'd had this idea of think like a monk in the last four years, because I was just like, what if you could think like a monk and live like a king or a queen, right? right? What if you could think like a monk? And it was the same belief system that if you could change your thoughts, if you could change your mind, if you could think the way monks do in the most peaceful, peaceful, still clarity led ways, then you'd be able to do everything else. Exactly. And, and, it was the same for me. I didn't want to settle to just write a book. I love that. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Because I think that's the only way we change and push because otherwise we're just writing based on trends. Right. And and as we both know, like trends are not timeless. And and I think the work we both want to do is timeless. So Exactly. You know, and that's exactly. the work of Steve Jobs is timeless. The work of these people we respect are timeless. So yeah, I love it, man. Thank you, Vishen. This has been incredible. We are going to go to a section of our podcast that we called fill in the blanks. Okay. So this is, you can fill in the blanks, but only one word, mm -hmm. or you can complete the sentence if you have to. So work should always. Work should always make you feel radiantly alive. I love it. Bosses should treat their employees. Bosses should treat their employees a way a coach treats people, Ooh, pushing good. them, pushing them to do their best. This doesn't mean always being nice to them. It means, it means pushing them to become the best person they can be. And that doesn't mean that you're always complimenting them or giving them kind words. It's calling out their shit. Mm, nice. I like that. Great. Yeah, because I think that's a mistake. I'm going off tangent, but I think that's a mistake people feel that spiritual coaching or being a Buddha or thinking like a monk or whatever it may be that that is soft. Yeah. And, no, it's not. It's not. Like yeah. I like I have compassion for all my employees, but it doesn't mean I don't call them out on their shit. So I'm known as a fierce boss. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think that there needs to be that there need we need to realize that you can be affectionate yet assertive at the exactly. same time. Exactly. Right? It's not a choice. Like people are like, should you be an affectionate boss or an assertive boss? And actually you can be affectionately assertive. Right. Because it's the intention matched with the action yeah. that's aligned, right? Yeah, I love that. Okay, great. I'm glad we brought that up. Question number three, I have no tolerance for. I have no tolerance for mediocrity. Nice. I believe if you're oh. going to do a job, if you're going to do a job, you got to go above and beyond. I don't, don't believe in just paying people to get a job done. I want people who are going to go above and beyond to, to love what they're doing, to want to create art, to want to wanna create new prototypes that can shift the world or shift the company they work for. Mediocrity really pisses me off. How have you found those people? And, and when you're looking for those people again, intuitively, because I agree with yeah. you, I'm on the same wavelength. I, I'm a big believer in I am passionate about my work and I don't expect anyone to work as right. hard as me for, for what mm -hmm. I do, but I do expect people to become obsessed and addicted and immersed in their world, whatever they're building. How are you attracting those people through intuition into your life? Because I think right. so many CEOs struggle with attracting that talent. Exactly. So firstly, we are brutally honest, right? If you go to our website, mindvalley.com, you click on careers, careers.mindvalley.com, you'll see that we have a manifesto. And I talk about the seven things I believe about work that 
this is the way we're doing it. This is my soul print. So if this resonates with you, join. If it doesn't, you don't have to join. And by the way, this manifesto technique to attract the right people, attract your allies, I talk about it in my book. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm really clear about in the manifesto is that our company is so connected. We are constantly evolving and changing. If you cannot deal with a rapid pace of change, please do not apply. Mm -hmm. But every now and then someone will slip in, then they can't cope with the change and then they will like, you know, they'll, they'll, (laughs) they'll, they'll quit. But we are super honest about this. We're looking for people who innovate like crazy, who envision like crazy, who are constantly evolving and changing mm. because the world is changing so fast and you got you to gotta evolve to be relevant. So, so what I'm doing is I'm identifying what are my values. I'm infusing the company with that. I'm being brutally honest. I'm saying this is the operating style of our DNA. Mm. If this resonates with you at a soul level, come and join our team. Mm. I love that. Brilliant. Okay, next one. Being an entrepreneur means? Being an entrepreneur means having the courage to follow ideas that you believe can make a better world. Nice. Ineffective bosses create? Ineffective bosses create people who are broken because they are working too hard and not taking care of their own well-being. Nice. And the final fill in the blanks is to keep talent long-term? To keep talent long-term, give smart people a way to truly feel powerful because they are changing the world. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I saw that as being one of the biggest challenges inside companies where they were actually misaligning talent against their skills. Yeah. And I was just like, you don't realize how talented, I had so many friends that I believed were so talented in stuff that they were not doing at work. And I was just like, we're missing out on so much revenue, so much this, so much that, so much profit, so much passion in the workplace because of that. Okay, Vision, these are your final five. Your final five are your final five rapid fire rounds. So it's one word to one sentence maximum. Right. Uh, Buddha and the Badass, by the way, sounds like I can't wait to see everyone reading this book and I can't wait to give it to CEOs and global HR leaders myself. Thank you. Because I think that, I'm so excited with the view you've taken on it. Like I, I, I'm so pumped when you said to me that you were like, I want to see how spirituality is going to change the workplace. I'm with you on that. Right. So, so I really want to see it change people's lives. But more importantly, everyone who's listening and watching, don't just think that's a book for CEOs and leaders to read. It's as no, important it's for everyone. you to read it. Yeah, right. it's as important for you to read it because guess what? You're going to be that change maker in the company. Right. You're going to be the one who can lead that change. And you're going to be the one who's going to bring that new culture through. So don't expect, don't ever get lost in that world of leaders will change the company. Like that's like the worst yeah. way to live. I, yeah. I just don't and, believe in and that. And I mean, your audience, one of the things I think I respect about you is that you're a former monk. This book basically teaches you how to be a monk in your current job. Yeah. How to take on certain ideas that you get from meditation, from introspection, from monkhood, but applying it in life so you can shift the world. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so these are your final five. Mm-hmm. What have you been chasing in your life that you no longer pursue? Hmm. Validation from other people. Nice. Okay. Uh, What do you believe most people misunderstand about being an entrepreneur? They think it's about making money. It's not. It's about pushing humanity forward. Business people do it for the dollars. Real entrepreneurs do it to push humanity forward. I agree. Beautiful. How do you know when you have a star employee? I know I have a star employee. When, when I'm in their presence and they are in mine, all we want to talk about is creation. Mm. 
Nice, that's great. If you could create a law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? Follow your soul print. Nice. Great. Okay. And fifth and final question. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? In the last 12 months, yeah. the biggest, biggest, biggest lesson. Yeah. Wow. There've been so many. For you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I learned mm -hmm. in the last 12 months that you should never have a charge or anger towards anyone. That forgiveness of yourself, of everyone in your life, that peace towards everyone is one of the most important things you can do for your own health and well-being and your effectiveness in the world. That is beautiful. I love it. Everyone, Vishen Lakiani, the Buddha and the badass inner person. Uh, I can't wait for you to grab the book. We will put the link to the book in all of the areas around the podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you go and pre-order a copy. It's going to change your life. It's going to change your organization. And most importantly, it's going to give you the imprint to just live a successful life, no matter what you do, whether you're an entrepreneur, an employee, Please, please, please go and check it out. Support Vision. He's a very good friend of mine. And as you can see, he will blow your mind. I've, I've had my mind truly blown today. And can I give Thank people you. my Instagram? Of course handle? you can. Yeah, it's it's just at Vision. I know my name is a little bit hard to spell because it's an Indian name, but it's like Shetty. Yeah, but like it's Shetty. V-I-S-H-E-N, yeah. at Vision. Vision. Yeah, at Vision on Instagram. Please, please, please go and follow Vision. We will also tag him in all the posts we put up as well. Check him out at Mind Valley as well, of course, at Mind Valley. Anywhere else that you want people to. I think that's good. That's good. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Thank you, Vishen, for being awesome. on our Thank on you, purpose Jay. today. This was amazing. And I can't wait for you all to uh, see the full episode. Thank you so amazing. much. Awesome. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. That was brilliant. <laughs>